like completely ignore the fact that you are part of a society and have other people dependent on you and you know have relationships with human beings like be a solipsistic moron go for it yeah you're welcome to do that we're also welcome to not revivify you exactly <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Hot Tip in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 299 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about bad RPG advice. But first, the party trades thoughts in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, we just play a fighter in the Character Creation Forge. All right, we are one episode away. <laughs> <laughs> from episode 300 Ishin. it is here and you know that's if you ignore our actual play episodes which i mean you should <laughs> yes yes this is uh actual discussion episode 300 which well it's gonna be a mailbag won't it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah absolutely and hey guess what you got a lot of questions we have probably even more answers than you have questions because we like to hedge our bets um but Tune in next week where we are going to get uh, down and dirty into it. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, we've probably already recorded it. That's true. No, no point in sending in any new questions, but uh, be on the lookout if you've already sent some in. Uh, and then we have also talked about doing a return to actual play for the month of January. Um, not sure yet what that's going to be. The, the votes have been pretty split to be honest mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. uh continuing tez or maybe going to uh the one ring um a lot of the 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 lord of the rings is uh is split on whether it's shane being fish out of water or ishan being in his element <laughs> uh, yeah a lot of people are really interested in uh just sort of seeing you squirm um mm -hmm. or, or maybe it's pretending like you know what elven ballads are supposed to sound like uh-huh which, let's Which I will write on the fly. You've seen me do it. Mm -hmm. I know. You're a bard at heart. <laughs> I didn't say you're a good one, though, listeners. No, so. no. I am a, I'm a Tolkien-quality bard. <laughs> uh, but that is input that you can still present, that we will listen to, that we will take under advisement and help us decide which uh, actual play we're going to do next. So let us know. All right, well, let's move on to the Gates of Morning campaign. So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Fairhaven, the peaceful capital of Ondare, the party is hunting down quarry mine seeds. So Bramble and Switch have just learned that if even a single gate falls, the seals that bind the Realm of Madness will break, and Zoriat will pour into the material. So, no big deal. Yeah, it, it might be a bad thing, though, I suppose. If, you know, you're a mortal creature with constant anatomy that prefers to survive... True. Meanwhile, two questions puzzle Vesicod. Why would a civil war in Thrain hurt the Quarry's goals? And why is there a Dalcor influence here in Fairhaven? So to find answers, he heads to the Chagra neighborhood on the east side of town. It's only a few blocks square, but it is home to more Kalishtar than Vesicod has ever seen in a single place. 
Families in flowing robes browse open-air markets and vendors sell the traditional woven meditation rugs or skewered vegetables more commonly found in Adar. Despite the crowds, it is remarkably quiet. Even the children are well-behaved and calm. Vesikot can see the telltale signs of telepathic communication, as people exchange looks of understanding and meaning rather than spoken words. He telepathically asks a nearby vendor for directions to a temple. So a merchant selling blown glass gives Vesikot a wary but polite response, speaking aloud so his assistant can hear. He directs the newcomer to Ashta Iliashur, temple of the lantern bearer just one street over. Vesikot spots the building a squat, two-story structure at a narrow intersection. The large wooden front door is ajar, though Vesikod can see there are no other entrances or even windows on the ground floor. The second floor, though, is adorned with mosaic windows of what look to be multi-hued glass. Inside, travel slippers are lined up on a once-fine but weathered carpet in a simple foyer. A telepathic chime signals when Vesikod steps inside. A few moments later, a monk with hair shaven in the Adaran style appears from a side room, and he looks at Vesikod for a long moment, then speaks telepathically. Greetings, brother. I am Lana Sky. How do you wish to walk in the light this day? Vesikod gratefully accepts this offer, feeling more comfortable here than anywhere he has in a very long time. But before they speak of anything serious, Lana Sky leads Vesikod in the procession an old tradition that Vesikot has only heard of before because it is more common in Adar itself. They meditate on the path of light, contributing their energy and thoughts to the great task of turning the age. After each brief session, they step forward, deeper into the main chamber, and meditate again. A mural on the other side of a semi-transparent curtain becomes clearer with each slow step. When they finally reach the inner sanctum, Vesikot can see it is a long tapestry of abstract images. Psi crystals embedded within give off faint telepathic impressions, and taken together, the mural and crystals tell the story of Teratai and her flight from Dalkor with her followers, who would become the first Kalishtar nearly a hundred generations ago. When Vesikot finally begins talking about Dalkor and the Dreaming Dark, Lanaskai's demeanor darkens, and he gazes into the distance for a moment. Shortly after, the venerated Thatari, an elderly Kalishtar woman, joins them from upstairs. The three of them kneel in a small circle, speaking through a group telepathic link established by Thatari. Vesikod can feel her attempt to divine his thoughts, which he allows. The two monks seemed concerned at the notion of a hidden quarry presence in the city. We have always kept close watch on the enemy, Thatari thinks. The reagent embassy, not a thousand paces from here, is, of course, a front for their ambitions, though they have been quiet of late. The other monk, Lanaskai, sniffs audibly. They are always scheming. If they are quiet, it only means we are missing something, he thinks. He catches himself, though, and glances over at the Tari. With respect, venerated one, this is evidence that we have waited too long to act. The Tari nods slowly, though she does not respond. The younger Kalishtar turns to Vesikot. Twenty years ago, some of our number bombed the Reagent Embassy. Many of the Chosen were killed, but the reagents reinforced their number, and we have become defensive since then. Tatari then joins in. But if we are to strike, it must be a decisive blow. We will not act until we know another sacrifice will bring real change. Lanaskai is quiet for a long moment. The venerated one's son, Rathaskai, 
is the one who bombed the embassy. He perished in the blast, he tells Vesicot. And Vesicot can see the old woman control her breathing, and he can feel her mold her emotions into an ordered form and feed them into turning the age with a precision it must have taken decades to master. When she's finished, she turns to his other questions. The quarry don't want civil war in Thrain because they strive for stagnation. Their highest goal is to prevent change, and it shows in their actions. On a temporal level, it must also mean they are confident in the current position. As for the planar presence of Dalcor that Warden sensed, she is concerned, but confused. There are no manifest zones to Dalcor anymore, anywhere, and the Kalashtar would have sensed something like that coming from the embassy. If Otho and Triage are causing this presence, then they are using very powerful magics. Something capable of causing that kind of planar disturbance would be very difficult to hide. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about bad RPG advice, which I think was the original title for this podcast. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bad RPG advice from our table to yours. Um, this is a stolen topic, right? Right, Shane? Uh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. get asked this question a fair amount. Uh, most recently from Awful Monk and Mark uh, for the 300 mailbag. But uh, this was enough that felt like they should probably just have a whole episode on this topic or else we'd never get through 300. <laughs> <laughs> so the internet is full of advice. We agree with some of it. We hate some of it. Uh, I think these are sort of our biggest pet peeves. Um, Though I guess that's with the caveat that like most of the advice is bad in part because of the questions that tend to solicit it, right? Like like sort of implied in some of these is just like, what was the original question that this advice was supplied for? <laughs> because, you know, absent that, it's a little a little difficult. So So keep in mind, like any advice is good or bad based on its applicability to a given situation. You know, there, there are probably cases where we've given some of this advice before, but it was very specific and not general, things like that. So, you know, nobody's a bad person for having thought these thoughts or given this advice. Yeah, this is an episode full of caveats. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a complaint episode. So, you know, it's, it's meant with the, the best of intentions and humor involved. This one's a rant. Right. <laughs> All right, let's dive in. Uh, let's kick it off with uh, impractical plot advice, especially given the number of sessions required to resolve plots. Or the number of sessions left in which you have to resolve that plot. Yeah, uh, this one especially is like, I have this character who has this thing and this general plot, and like, how do I make that plot work? Centering entirely on one PC. <laughs> and uh, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. You like stitched this together perfectly for that player to have fun. What is the rest of them here for? Right. Or you stitched this together perfectly to play out the novel that you've written ahead of time for this campaign. And this one PC is happy with the railroad or is your buddy and, you know, knew ahead of time and now happens to be the protagonist of the show. Um, this is like sort of, as you said, at the, the beginning of this section, like this is a scenario where already sort of begs the question, you are already in a bad scenario. If you're asking how you get from point A to point B in terms of character plot, 
you you it means you've already decided that this is where the characters have to go right <laughs> exactly like you're you're setting yourself up for for a lot of challenge in that case um an another thing that happens with this is like people have ideas for campaigns that are like you know every week we're going to visit a different like place right um the uh, like the 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 travelogue campaign where it's like okay so how many weeks in a row are you going to prep an entirely different setting <laughs> right like how is that going to work or alternatively if you're staying in each setting for multiple weeks how many weeks is this campaign that you're going to get to go to more than like four or five settings right like you're, you're talking about like 12 weeks and 12 settings or 60 weeks and you know uh, five five sessions each right and it's like boy th those that's a wide range of, of difference here like how are you going to make that satisfying yeah it's important to recognize that the crux of this pet peeve is the impracticality of the advice that's often thrown out to answer the questions right um it's not a bad idea to have a themed campaign i love the idea of a travel log uh but Typically, for most people in a casual game setting, it's just way too much work to do long term. Right, exactly. It's impractical to have, you know, four people at a table uh, all decide that they're going to essentially follow your pre-written plot details. You know, it is impractical to have uh, everyone at the table uh, give up their agencies so that one character can have a really cool, interesting story. It is impractical to think that you are going to be able to keep this prep and quality going session after session if you have to redo everything from the start every time you show up someplace different right yeah you'll get three sessions three is how many yeah you get. <laughs> like i sure hope you're in college because if you have a job yeah. that's not happening <laughs> and even then like you know in college like campaigns don't last long enough to make it to, to the um to make it to the second location. So I sure hope you only prepped one. Look, I'll tell you right now, the uh, the best time to do a complicated uh, campaign with like uh, an integrated storyline uh, where, you know, you constantly have uh, intercession communication and, and everything is tailored to, you know, each individual character's wishes is when someone is on unemployment. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say uh, senior year of high school, first year of retirement. <laughs> Another like very impractical uh, piece of advice is when you have plots that are targeting one PC, right? Where they're focused on punishing something about that character. Um, uh, oftentimes, this leads into our probably biggest pet peeve combined uh, is handling out-of-game issues in-game. Yeah, why was this right? not number one? <laughs> oh, it's not number one because I had this little segue. Okay, okay, I'm into it. All right. Right, but the the idea that like a player made a choice for their character that you don't like, so now you're going to punish that choice, you're going to target that choice, uh, and now like you're trying to teach a lesson about you know the consequences of of their choice. And I think the reason that this advice, right, hey, handle an out of game issue in game the reason that it comes up so often is that on the face of it, it often seems extremely reasonable because the issue that you're trying to deal with is often beyond the pale. It's often, um, you know, inexcusable in, in like a, 
uh, a gaming group. Someone has done something to break the rules or the social contract uh, or, or is just being extraordinarily annoying or something, right? And it has resulted in a situation that needs to be handled above the table, that needs to have a conversation uh, out in the open among multiple people with a, a give and take. Uh, and instead, the advice is, oh, screw over their character and then they won't like it and they'll leave. Right. Yeah, that's the everything from like, you know, making inappropriate advances on another player in the group to, um, you know, min maxing and having the most optimized character that's ruining the fun for everybody. That that does that that doesn't happen. When <laughs> okay. you not, when you over optimize, you make it fun for everyone. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cheating on dice rolls, right? Like, I mean, any number of examples get get fed into like, oh, we'll just punish their character, and it's like. Or just talk to them like an adult, right? Like attendance issues. That's another one that I, I see sometimes is like, oh, well, just like, just kill their character. So then it doesn't matter if they're not. And it's like, how about talk to them about why they can't make it consistently? And like some of this stuff was actually kind of baked into RPG systems way back in the day. I mean, like if you look at a lot of the like DM advice in old systems, it's mostly terrible and says things like punish your characters, you know, be an enemy, um, all those sorts of things. But then also like, you know, when you earn XP only when you're present for the session, then you automatically get punished for not being present, right? Or like you don't get right. the loot. And that that sort of feeds or that sort of spills over into um, sometimes current advice, which is like, if someone is doing something you don't like, give them fewer magic items. I guess right. I suppose that'll fix it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a like, I mean, we've said this many times is like, the punishment for missing a session is that you didn't get to have the fun of the session, right? Um, if, if the fun of the game is like, time locked behind how many sessions you suffer through before you get to have fun, like, you know, there's fundamental assumptions of the game that I, uh, I don't agree with. And I think is bad advice to to guide people towards. Yeah, if you feel like you made out like a bandit because you missed a session, like you're playing the wrong game, get out of that group. Yeah. Right. Or, or likewise, if you feel like you were punished excessively by missing a session, also not great. And if you feel like you were punished because someone made it to a session, well, you deserve better too. Okay. <laughs> and that's something that should be handled above the table, out of game. Yeah, I just too many issues are. You need to be an adult and have an adult conversation with other adults at the table um, and not try to work things out with like this, you know, intermediate, like imaginary world that you share. Like you need to have your conversations in the real world, like real people, which I realize is horrifying for probably 90% of the people I grew up playing this game with. But like, I don't know, we got to get there, right? Because any advice that stems from from anything other than that is is bound to fail yeah look it's the rpg version of getting married in second life don't do it <laughs> okay deal with your real problems uh well speaking of real problems there's a there's a triad coming up of D D problems do we want to talk about those <laughs> all right uh let's kick it off the first one is uh, so often you will have people tell especially new players people new to rpgs that D D is a universal system that can do anything if you want to play fantasy, great. That's what D&D is for. You want to play sci-fi? That's okay. There are rules to play sci-fi in D&D. No problem. Horror? Done. This is... Okay, it's not wrong, but it's mostly not true. 
Yeah, it's like, sure, you can do anything, but that's really bad advice. <laughs> like, you know, like you can take your luxury sedan off roading. It's just a bad idea. Yeah, you might not <laughs> like, get it back on the road. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's like there's, you know, you could do any number of dumb things. Like, no one is stopping you. It's just you shouldn't. And it, it, like the the thing is like D and D operates on a on a, a number of assumptions, right? That kind of underpin the mechanics and like requires a certain level of lift in order to make changes to that, right? And so, for the effort that you put into homebrewing around the fact that the core loop of the system is excessively combat oriented. Right to to add things that aren't combat to D and D is a lot of extra work, and if you're changing genre or changing theme or, and trying to like get away from the core of D and D, like that effort could just be spent playing another game. Um, that probably is going to do it better than whatever you can piece together from, you know, a, a couple of questionable Watsy supplements and maybe some stuff on the DM's guild. <laughs> and I know there are probably people listening right now who are thinking or yelling at your podcast app, some of the best sessions that I have ever had, we've just sat around and role-played and nobody even rolled any dice. And you know what? Same. Um, that has absolutely nothing to do with D&D. Right, exactly. Like, you have a good game group. That <laughs> D&D didn't help you. Right. <laughs> um, also, you know, everyone knows the only real uh, universal system is GURPS. Right, because um, it's right there in the title. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it tells you what it is. It's it's on the cover. Why would they lie? It's both general and universal, Ishan. Yeah, well, actually, the G stands for graphical, so it's actually pronounced Jerps. I didn't know oh, you knew that. Oh, it's Jerps. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, okay, so so joining D&D &D Can Do Anything is D&D &D doesn't have to be about combat, uh, which recently was a was a bear poking when, uh, was it the the witch light witch light was the adventure right that like oh, they published yeah. a tweet that was like what if we told you there was an adventure with no combat it's like why did i buy your game <laughs> and, and that's the thing so it's technically true that you can play wild beyond the witch light with no combat in that every encounter has at least one possible resolution that involves avoiding combat so i guess if you select option you know, see every single time as you play through that adventure, you can get through without any combat. But that doesn't mean that you're not touching about 80% of the D&D rulebook. They tweeted, what if I told you you wouldn't have combat? And it's like, okay, so the assumption is there's no combat. And it's like, well, I've had sessions where we didn't have combat and it was fun. It's okay, did you go in and say there will be no combat? Did you take combat off the table? Because the presupposition of the tweet is there will be no combat. So tell me, is the session fun if week after week after week you're not allowed to punch anything? Like, no matter what happens? Because that was the supposition there is no combat, right? And it's like, all D&D &D is based around, even all the rules that aren't combat rules are based around the last resort of violence, right? Like, at the end of the day in D&D, &D, you always have the option to hit something with a stick, there are games where the option to hit something with a stick is like a last resort, right? Where if you do it, you are punished by the game system. D&D &D rewards you for that. So like, you're kind of not playing D&D &D if you just throw that out. And it's also, it's the game you bought is like, I don't know, 80% of the pages are about combat. I don't know what you're reading then. What it, 
you need somebody to describe 25 skills to you? I don't get it. What did you buy? So like as a piece of advice, this is bad because you're basically telling someone, here is a character sheet. This tells you your name, your class, here are all of your stats and your abilities and all the cool things your character can do. You're just going to cross all of these out. <laughs> right. You're not going to touch them. <laughs> Don't worry about your equipment. It doesn't matter. Okay. Your stats, only three of them matter. Okay. Uh, I don't need to tell you what AC or DC means. Do not worry about it. Um, actually, the only thing you're concerned about, let me just circle this. It's called your persuasion. <laughs> right. <laughs> and occasionally perception. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, we're done. You could try to lie. Uh, and then there is, there is a, <laughs> there's another one here that is like, Two pieces of conflicting advice, which is also part of the problem with the internet, right? Is uh, one is D and D is too expensive, right? Which uh, which is based on like the idea that the three core rule books MSRP is fifty dollars each, so that's a hundred and fifty dollar investment in D and D. That of course is a bad faith argument because it's literally free. You can go get the basic rules for free, um, perfectly playable. Uh, also, <laughs> that's like rarely true of the inverse right because it's always set up that like either D is too expensive or uh playing another game is too expensive i'm already invested in D, &D right and it's like people spend way more money on D, &D than like a 20 dollars indie game what are we talking about like you people are going out and spending 50 dollars on a dice tower you can't buy an indie game like what like i already know D, &D and then you ask questions or you're not playing it right i don't you don't know the rules of D, &D anyway people you're not playing D, D half the time I I mean it it smacks very much of you know man with suspenders standing in front of coal fired power plant saying I don't know solar just seems so expensive. It's it's the it's the Henry Ford. You can have it in any color so long as it's black, right? It's the IBM any color as long as it's beige. Like you could play any RPG as long as it's Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> And of course, this stems from or, the fact that, like, firstly, it's not Dungeons and Dragons, the, the the unplayable game. You're not allowed to if you're a true indie player. <laughs> OSR only, please. Narrative games. I only play narrative games. Narrative games <laughs> where we all die and are sad. I only play single player journaling games. <laughs> I don't want an option for victory. <laughs> um, and of course, this stems from the fact that, like, can you drop a ton of money on D and D? Absolutely, there is no upper limit to the amount of money that you can spend on D and D. But also, like, there's no upper limit to the amount you can spend on this hobby in general. You can you can play any game, like any game system you want, and spend thousands of dollars just on dice. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't uh, tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a. Uh, uh, I'll tell her it's required. <laughs> right. <laughs> those those festive Mardi Gras dice are going to roll themselves. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a it's really tough barrier to entry. <laughs> that feels like it's a depreciating asset. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, all right. Now that we've got the the D and D fallacies out of the way. Um, let's dive into maybe my like favorite slash least favorite fallacy on the internet. Um, at least when it comes, you know, when it comes to RPGs, yeah. Uh, um, 
you know, 5G radiation is probably my, my least favorite non D and D RPG related fallacy on the internet. But anyway, oh. uh, <laughs> wait till you hear this week's plot hook. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Low stats and or mechanically flawed characters help your role play. Did you roll a four intelligence? That's fine. Don't worry about it. That gives you a hook on which to hang a character concept. <laughs> now you know who you are. And in fact, you should lean very heavily into that flaw. It will be the main part of your personality that you use to engage with the game. People love that. As you know, I only have six friends. Uh, and they are all different solely based on their physical attributes of their strength, constitution, <laughs> dexterity, wisdom, charisma, and intelligence, Ishan. <laughs> because the idea of a character having a role-playing hook that was something like, I don't know, their desire or their, you know, family and friends or things that they hold dear or, or their, you know, maybe their interests, <laughs> like... Or even, let's make it mechanical. Completely <laughs> Or even their abilities. Things that they're, I don't know, good at. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. I have, you know, that one friend of mine, well, a couple friends of mine who can dunk. That's who I really lean on. <laughs> I mean, the, the annoying part of this piece of advice is that it presupposes that if you don't have some sort of flaw, if there isn't something that you're horrendously bad at, the character is horrendously bad at, that... Um, it's not a good character to role play. And in fact, it is harder to role play or will be a worse role play experience than one that does have some sort of essentially fatal flaw. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like uh, most games assume you have a, a level of statistical competence um, in that, like the math expects you to succeed some, I don't know, 50% of the time, something like that in general. Right. Uh, and that like, you won't enjoy if you routinely fail at things, right? Like most games don't assume you enjoy failure. Well, with very few exceptions and those exceptions are deeply flawed characters. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> looking at you, call Cthulhu and only war. Good. I was just about to bring up 40 K. Um, the yeah. math there literally says it expects you to succeed 27% of the time. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't. It expects you to have plus 30 modifiers very frequently. Nobody reads that part of the book. People don't read the book anymore. Until people start bringing in the penalties as well. <laughs> like range. <laughs> Wait, no, well, I want range. Range is what I want. I want to be far away from the bad guys I'm shooting. <laughs> well, you should probably get closer. Uh uh, yeah, there's the other piece of this that's like really goofy to me is that like if you don't drop one of the sliders to zero, you just can't recognize uh, what, what that would mean. Like it, it like presupposes that people are completely incapable of like role playing nuance, right? Like the idea that being slightly below average intelligence like couldn't be couldn't be role played. You have to be like literally a blathering idiot in order to role play low intelligence, right? It's like or, or you know, whatever low strength or you know if you're low con you have to be like perpetually on death's door and and frail to even a, a slight chill instead of just like no when i get stabbed i die <laughs> like i can't get stabbed 34 times you know it's like i get stabbed once it sucks being a mage is horrible <laughs> uh, right it, like it, it always manifests itself in an extreme 
right? It it is either um like my character is subsumed by the fact that I have low constitution and now like every bit of storyline that I'm involved in has to do with like me trying to shore up my poor health or me being sick or, you know, me being afraid of like getting hit once or something like that. Right. And then there's also the flip side where it's like, okay, if you're such a good role player, then you can have like a nine intelligence and still play as someone who isn't particularly bright. You can, you could have a, tw- you could have a 12. It, it literally doesn't matter. Right. Like, you know, Absent-minded professor doesn't have to mean high intelligence, low wisdom. It can, your stats don't have to, they can mean whatever you want them to mean. Right. Exactly. Like those, those numbers are not like biological truths. They're like a set of mathematics that feed into other abilities. Right. And so like not being naturally good at a set of skills doesn't mean that like you can't speak fluent, like. Compre- comprehensible English, yeah, right? or even like, or even other languages. Do right. you know how many dumb how many dumb people do you know who speak multiple languages? I know a bunch. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; I know more people who are dumb who only speak one language. But still, I mean, yeah, but that's just selection bias, right? Like, more people only speak one language. Period. <laughs> uh, we we kind of hinted at this one earlier, but probably worth calling out separately. Uh. Fortunately, it doesn't come up too often, often gets downvoted, but teach your players a lesson. <laughs> the uh, the core of the adversarial GM advice. The, the idea that uh, your players should be uh, interacting with the game in the way that involves them uh, understanding the rules that you have put in place for the game, right? That playing the game your way is what should be rewarded and not playing the game their way. You see, Shane, uh, playing an RPG, especially running an RPG, is much like your uh, first day in prison. Okay? (laughs) You need to just beat the shit out of somebody to let them know that you mean business. All right? And then and only then are they going to respect you. That's true. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) it's not always terrible advice (laughs) it will set a tone i'm just not sure it's the tone you want to set yeah i mean well when i was playing D &D in jail um people couldn't leave it was the only game in town right turned out at my friendly local gaming store uh you know i made those little kids cry and now no one wants to play at my table (laughs) um there is like a a piece of this that like i wonder i i mean i know a lot of this stems from like od and d right like i know there was a lot of this advice in there but then i also wonder if there's like the the second wave of players of which like i guess i'm probably like a third wave player um but like who had computer rpgs right like my first rpg interaction was was like a a crpg right it wasn't tabletop and so there's an element of that of learning like how the game treats the world right like there's the the like Baldur's Gate had a bunch of like hidden easter eggs if you like pixel the mouse to find little hidden rings under trees and things like that right and it's like oh okay and like if you don't check for traps every four feet then the game will punish you for not actively checking for traps right and so it's like you learn 
like you, your model of of the world is like oh okay well the dm is the computer right like my job is to run the simulation so i should do the things that the computer does <laughs> and like I, I feel like a lot of people like who who started role playing like at, at my time frame kind of had that idea that we had to unlearn which was like oh actually like it's not that we're trying to replace the computer with a human it's that like a human isn't bound by the rules that a computer is. We can just make things more fun in a different way by giving you more freedom, not by giving you a harder test. Now, speaking of the uh, unlimited power of the GM, uh, another piece of bad advice uh, that we see a lot is that rule zero, which is the GM is always right, means that the GM is actually right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I think rule zero has uh, has evolved a little bit, right? Like from from the GM is always right or the, the DM is always right to, you know, you can use or ignore whatever you need. You can add whatever rules are necessary, right? Like it's your game, make it your game. Um, either way, right? The GM is not always right. And, and the clearest evidence of that is if whatever you're doing has players leaving your game, you are f***ing wrong. So I don't know how else to tell you, but players vote with their feet sometimes. And like, at the very least, you weren't right if it lost you your game. Don't know how to explain that to you any more clearly. So the rule cannot be true, uh, even if it is well-intentioned. Yeah, that's why rule 0.5 exists. No GM is owed a table. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like people are people are gonna uh, leave, you know. Yeah, I, I mean that's why people leave halfway through games at cons, right? Like you know, like those stories happen all the time. Of your, like all the worst table things happen with it with a GM who thinks the GM is always right. And this usually gets thrown out as like um, a a conversation ender, you know, as like a defense of poor behavior. Well, I was the GM, and the GM is always right. Rule zero. So there. Right. Uh, or, or it's the, uh, it's like the equivalent of like the, uh, AITA post, right? Yeah. It's like, no, you, you are the asshole because the GM's always right. It's like, we don't live in a society. We finally evolved to a point where the customer is not always right. Yeah. That's a good point. In fact, the customer is pretty much always wrong. Uh, you know, it's certainly trending that direction. <laughs> Bagging on rule zero is not meant to say that players are always right. Oh God! Um, or, or that like, you know, the there isn't a need for uh, imbalance between the roles. Players would be foxes in the hen house if, if they had that kind of unilateral power that that GMs enjoy. Right? Oh, you like, mean like us in an Angelo game? They yes, yes, we ruin <laughs> our own fun. <laughs> I can get away with what? Exactly. <laughs> well, if he says I can do it, I'm gonna do I'm it. I mean, but... I'm gonna. Probably wouldn't let this happen in my game. Uh, and and I genuinely think it'll make the game worse, but like I I can't not take two legendaries. I gotta know. <laughs> I gotta know. <laughs> Sorry, any build? <laughs> right. I think actually the 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 general case advice for this uh is that rule zero should be everyone is always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out amongst yourselves. <laughs> Uh, so then moving on to another one that uh, I am personally exposed to a lot because I follow a lot of the uh, 40K and, and, and Warhammer uh, fantasy roleplay 
communities is that because a world or a setting is gritty, dark, or grim dark, uh, it is okay to push player boundaries. Um, granted, usually these are not uh, advice given to people who have a healthy respect for session zero in the first place, but um, a, an important part of this is is the idea that like you signed up for something that was horrific, therefore I have carte blanche to horrify you. Um, and this is, you know, it, this is the lines and veils. This is a safety tools. This is a session zero problem. Uh, and I absolutely hate having to unpack it because it derails whatever thread it's in. And now we have to ha argue over whether session zero is good or whether things are better when people just quit. Yeah. And of course, obviously this one is very layered, right? Is it okay to push player boundaries? Uh, yes. If there's consent to do that. Uh, and if it is ongoing, you know, hey, at the beginning of this game, I was recruiting people uh, and I said this would be a, a horror game and there'd be some squick. And that means from now on, as long as this game is running in perpetuity, I'm allowed to do any any level of uh, a horror or uh, or squick that I deem. And that's right. fine because uh, <laughs> you you signed here. Apparently, that's how games work. These By days. logging into roll 20, you have signed in blood. Right. So, yeah, uh, you you signed a release. Okay, and now I can beam any images I want directly into your retinas. That's why all my players have to sign NDAs. Uh, yeah, and arbitration, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you always make sure you opt Come for on. arbitration. Can't, Nobody wants that. Just court, walk. please. <laughs> I mean, please. you can tr you can try to just walk, sure, but like. <laughs> tr try getting in a, a, another game anywhere else, okay? Right. Because we also have a non-compete. Uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, I mean, this is like, I, I feel like every uh, every year we have an episode that goes deep on Session Zero. Uh, I, I just, you know, uh, I, this is actually probably what belongs at number one because it's just so dumb. Like, it is, it's one of those things where it, like, it either narrowly or, you know, potentially, like, actively causes harm, uh, ostensibly to people that, you want to be friends friends with and you know it, it could just be resolved by having just open communication at a session zero so just have a freaking session zero yeah and this is 100 percent not relegated to 40k or horror games or things like that like this crops up with like historical games it crops up when we're talking about verisimilitude people are like oh it's the middle ages in the real world so we're dealing with slavery casual racism and sexism eh? Mm -hmm. eh? and yeah. like uh, uh, you're gonna have to because you said you're okay with a historical game right hello deadlands <laughs> <laughs> oh there's fireballs yes Yes, there's fireballs. There are, there are fireballs. You could <laughs> blow up the Confederates. <laughs> there's there's one exception. Okay, everything else stays the same. <laughs> All right, and then I think a big pet peeve of mine um, is a pair of advice that at first seem like polar opposites. And the first one is, particularly for new players, they're told, if you don't know what to do, just do whatever it is that your character would do. And that's how you can decide how to act at the table, what decisions to make, how to act in combat, how to build your character, anything like that. And then the opposite of that is, 
you'll also get people telling those exact same people, no, no, no. What you need to do is be a team player. Be whoever it is that the group needs you to be. Yeah, be a cleric. Yep. That's yep. what they're saying. They're saying faux cleric. Be, Every time be they're my saying cleric, faux cleric. Is what, is what they're right, saying. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> be my healer. Now, okay, n- neither of these are wrong. In fact, both of these are necessary um, perspectives to have a gaming group that actually like, gets along and works well together. But if you adhere to either one of them too much or entirely to the exclusion of the other, you're going to go off the rails. So the the situation in which I see, like, just do whatever your character would do, um, recently has been on TikTok, where there's someone talking about how their their spellcaster doesn't have any spells that do damage. Now, we've built characters like that. In fact, you can make extremely powerful characters in D&D 5th edition, where a spellcaster takes no spells that deal any damage. In fact, uh, shield hold person, uh, hypnotic pattern, dimension door. I think those are all like contenders for strongest at level spells, you know, and none of them deal any damage. But it starts to become a problem when you are making all of your decisions based on this microcosm of who you believe this character to be, right? It's what my character would do. And so that's what I will do without understanding that we live in a society. <laughs> yeah, and, and this character lives in a society, right? Like, right. ostensibly, if this is supposed to be like a real person that you're playing, they live in a society, in a setting. They also uh, are part of an adventuring party uh, that wants to stay alive and needs to have a reason not to abandon them on the side of the road. Right. So, yes, be true to who this character is, but also be useful. Yeah, I, I mean, this one is like, do what your character would do, as long as your character is the protagonist of a story, <laughs> right? Like, and that doesn't mean you have to be a hero, but it does mean you have to drive the plot forward, right? Like, you have a joint responsibility to do that. You you are a focal point of the story. Uh, when the the light shines on you, you have to do something that moves forward. You can't just, oh, okay, well, I run away. Right, like I disengage from the entire plot because I am an antagonist. Apparently, right now, is that a reasonable thing for an actual person faced with a combat situation to do? Just run away? Of course it is. Absolutely, it's a very realistic choice. It's not a good gaming choice. Right. This is yeah. I mean, that's one of those caveats we always have to put in our uh, our like monster tactics. Right. Right. Is it's like, hey, you could be brutal and unfun and have a game that everybody hates. Uh, or you can make some mistakes because if you don't like, you know, beholders are going to win. They have 34 eighth level spells. (laughs) The beholder should never lose, you know? Right. (laughs) And and no, but no medieval peasant should ever be brave. Right. (laughs) Uh, but remember also like there's the flip side of this, like be a team player. I have seen players play characters that are so focused on being whatever it is that the party needs, being the optimal support character, driving the plot forward, that they cease to actually be a character and they become a mechanism in a story. Whereas where they don't really end up having a real backstory or views, right? They, they don't have feelings when, when the party in game is sitting around the campfire and saying, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to attack? Their response isn't a 
the response of a real person with a viewpoint. It is a top-down tactical response based on the desires of the other players and the desires of the other characters. Look, I, I wouldn't consider that character like objectively strong, right? Like in terms of like characterization, I wouldn't say that's a strong characterization, right? Uh, or even really an active characterization. But like, it is a game. Like if the player enjoys doing that, right? If their fun is enabling others to have fun uh, in the game, like, you know, maybe they're a casual player or whatever. Like, I mean, it's narrow advice for sure, but I don't mind it. You know, like if, if someone were like, eh, no, I'm just cool. Like you guys, you guys go knock it out. Just tell me how I help. You know, like I, like I, I, I certainly don't feel that way, but like, I, it wouldn't bother me that somebody else did. I don't think it's a problem if you have a player end up in that position. I think it's problematic as advice because it is very, oh, sure. it's very sure. rarely given to someone who that's actually going to really vibe with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? That's a good point. Like, <laughs> it's fine to choose that for yourself. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Yeah. You're right. That is bad advice uh, in general. Yes. <laughs> of course. It's just the advice that I'm like least upset with <laughs> if somebody, uh, somebody does it, you know, absent the internet's advice. Does like, it, it probably breaks the game least of any of the stuff that we've talked about. But, right. you know, it can end you up in a place where you find you don't understand why you're not having fun with the character, even though you're, quote unquote, doing everything right. And everyone at the table is happy with you. Right. These are, you know, these are really like the libertarianism of uh, of like RPG advice topics. Right. It's like, <laughs> just oh, yeah, no, you just have total freedom. Just do whatever your character would do. Like completely ignore the fact that you are part of a society and have other people dependent on you and, you know, have relationships with human beings like just. Yeah. Be a solipsistic moron. Go for it. Yeah, you're welcome to do that. We're also welcome to not revivify you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time you'll roll like a higher empathy character and have a real flaw. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm done complaining for a while, like at least till next for the, week. Yeah, so, next week, right. <laughs> um, you know, well, uh, let us know in on uh, on Twitter or uh, in the Discord, right? What is some of your... Uh, your favorite bad RPG advice. What stuff do you see that just makes you roll your eyes and uh, unplug from the internet for the day? Yeah, and what uh, what piece of terrible advice should we put out into the world? Try to turn into some sort of meme that people start quoting to each other religiously. Uh, let's yeah, let's let's rebrand about around. Um, did you see Newbie DM's tweet about uh, don't let your characters die like chumps like Han Solo? <laughs> <laughs> So, such a good tweet. Manages to upset D&D &D and Star Wars <laughs> communities. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. It was, yeah, no, it was, it was the discourse for a few days. But, uh, yeah, no, it's not advice I hate. But I'm, I'm looking for the advice that people will hate. Let me tweet something truly horrible that isn't harmful. And, uh, and let, me, let me drive the discourse in a dumb direction for once. <laughs> sure, for once, yeah. Yeah. Let me be relevant. <laughs> just, just let me be relevant. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that's me going to TikTok uh, to find new ideas for character backstories. All right. Well, let's see what the uh, TikTok teens have come up for us this week in the Character Creation Forge. It's a dancer. They dance. A dancer? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, that's what the TikTok teens are doing? I think so. I don't actually know. Okay. All right. Well, before we... Go to the Character Creation Forge. Let's find out how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. 
You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, um, we're taking a bit of bad advice to heart. Sure, people tell you just play a cleric so you can heal me, but also sometimes they say, I don't want to deal with you and I don't want to have to teach you how to play the game. Just play a fighter. All right, well, I'm taking them up on the offer. I'm going to play just a fighter my way. I think this is only the second time that we have done a build that does not multi-class. Uh-huh, but, well, I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, those, I had, those are had optional rules. <laughs> All right, explain this build, Shane. Okay, so the build is uh, Eladrin Elf Echo Knight 20. Okay, I like the Eladrin. Sure. Why are you going with an, a, a, a pointy-eared elf? They have plus two decks, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Dex Fighter is funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Echo Knight specifically has some like goofy reaction and, uh, and opportunity attack mechanics, and, like zone of control mechanics that uh, make it feel kind of controllery for a tank uh and i just i think it's i think it's just really funny to double dip a tank with high deck so that you get the high deck save as well uh so anyway here we are <laughs> um are you are you trying to impress uh, I, I mean you know notice me senpai <laughs> Uh, so All we right. will get so plus two decks from Ladrin. Uh, we will get trance, so you don't sleep. We get Fey ancestry, so you get advantage versus charm effects. Uh, and then you'll get keen senses for perception proficiency. But what we really want here is Fey step. That's a thirty foot teleport once per short rest. Uh, this is the Tome of Foes version, so it's you know good, unlike the uh, DM guide or the yeah, yeah the DMG version. <laughs> Uh, and oh, then at third level, your face step gets upgraded. You can add an uh, add like an effect to it. You can either take someone else instead of you. You can add a charm to characters uh, in the area. You can add a frighten effect, or you can do charisma modifier fire damage to uh, to characters. So you get some like wave clear, some uh, CC out of that. It just just feels like a good utility ability, and you get a lot of mobility. You get a lot of like teleporting around the battlefield like showing up in places you shouldn't be that just felt kind of satisfying to to build a fighter around so to kick it off uh, at level one uh as a fighter you get a fighting style we're here for great weapon fighting to reroll ones and twos on two-handed weapons you also get second win for a bunch of uh, hp regain as a bonus action now uh you may notice that <laughs> great weapon fighting takes two-handed weapons you don't have finesse on any two-handed weapons, so it's going to be a painful first few levels here until we can get to a feat. Um, but you know what? I'm playing this fighter, not you, so I'll deal with it. Are you sure you're going to be at this table long enough to actually see this build blossom? I'm not dumping con. I'll be here all day, baby. <laughs> all right, level two gets action surge, and level three, you manifest your echo. As a bonus action, create an echo within 30 feet of you. As a bonus action... You can spend 15 feet of movement and swap spots with the Echo. You can attack from the Echo space during your attack action, and you can take opportunity attacks from the Echo space. Uh, which effectively gives you a 
you know, 30 foot range on your melee attack, uh, which is pretty handy. Uh, and then also at level three, you get Unleash Incarnation, which lets you make an additional attack from your Echo Square uh, up to con modifier times per long rest. So eventually that will get up to five times. Good thing you didn't dump con. Exactly. Uh, at level four, you'll get an ability score imp- increase. We will take Revenant Blade, which is an elf feat. Uh, <laughs> gives you plus one dex, plus one AC when you wield a double-bladed scimitar. And when you have a double-bladed scimitar, it has the finesse property. So we are two-handed wielding a finesse weapon. <laughs> uh, this is now the second build that has depended upon the double-bladed scimitar. And I am totally here I, for that. No, look... If you're at a table like where you get a free feed at first level, like Revenant Blade really opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, it's probably broken, but like you know, it lets you do cool stuff with decks and just makes I don't know. It's a cool thing, right? Look, it's a it's a two hand it's a two sided scimitar. I mean, doesn't want that. You got you got to get your hands on a double bladed scimitar. However, I did play a character uh, that used a double bladed scimitar, but reflavored it as a dwarven Urgrosh. Mm. Which, like, who cares? You know what I mean? It was an axe on one end and a spear on the other. Like, mechanically, it ends up just being the same thing. But there's so many, like, cool double uh, double weapons that, like, haven't gotten statted in 5e. The dub, uh, double-weighted scimitar is totally yeah, the way to you're, go. You're to, paying, to you're paying a feat for this, you know? <laughs> like... I mean, like, also, also, just the weapon itself is a hundred exactly. gold pieces. So, <laughs> you got to be level four to afford this thing. Fortunately, you're going to save it on right. armor because you're a dex fighter. Uh, well, you know, I just make sure that I kill the first person that I meet with a double bladed scimitar. And take <laughs> exactly. It. There's actually only one double bladed scimitar in the world. It's everybody who has revenant <laughs> blade is fighting over it. <laughs> just need to make sure you don't meet any new characters. Right. <laughs> Uh, at 5th level, we'll get extra attack. At 6th level, we'll get another ability score increase. We will take the Elven Accuracy feat. Uh, partially for the plus 1 dex, really, it's like the best ability, the best feat that has plus 1 dex that's left. Um, but then you will also, when you have advantage on a dex attack, you can reroll one of the dice once. Um, you have the Charm and Frighten effects on your... Uh, on your face step which can can help you with that and and you know obviously like depending on which rules you're using at your table for flanking and things like that it can be easier to to trigger that advantage um but you know figure out how to get advantage and um you'll be (laughs) hitting quite a bit at level seven you get echo avatar which lets you see through your echo's eyes for up to 10 minutes as long as it's within within a thousand feet of you and at eight, we'll take the defensive duelist feat as a reaction, adds your proficiency bonus to AC when you're hit by an attack. We came to tank, and that scales better than shield. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, level nine, you get indomitable, which lets you reroll a failed save once per long rest. Uh, level ten, you'll get shadow martyr once per short rest. You can teleport your echo uh, to become the target of an attack against an ally. So you can just interrupt an attack sequence, force them to attack the uh, the echo instead. At level 11, you get a third attack. 12 will take an ASI to bump Khan, uh, two more. At 13, you can use your Indomitable twice. And at 14, another ASI for two more Khan. At 15, you get Reclaim Potential. Reclaim Potential. You gain 2d6 plus your Khan mod temporary HP when your echo dies. And... Uh, you can do this con mod number of times per long rest. 
Uh, the, it's got some weird wording that you can't use it if you already have temp HP. So you kind of want to manage that a little bit. But still, like that ends up being quite a bit of extra HP in your pool, right? Like if you get to, we'll get to twenty con. I mean, you're you're talking like forty extra hit points per long rest. Like it's 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 not nothing, especially when you're throwing your echo in the way of attacks. Yeah, yeah, your echoes taking taking damage from the attack and then giving you more hit points, right? Like, I mean, that's a pretty big swing, especially against like, say, crits. Uh, at level sixteen, you will gain another ASI. You'll take plus two con. Then at seventeen, you'll get a second use of action surge, a third use of indomitable, and at eighteen, you get Legion of One. Uh, when you manifest your echo, you create two of them. And whenever you roll initiative without any uses of your echo remaining, you regain an additional one. And we'll finish it off with an ASI for the lucky feet at 19 and at 20, the fighter capstone, a fourth attack. Uh, you don't have to take lucky. You can take any feet. I just like lucky. Uh, I, I, I like the idea if I'm going to roll a bunch of attacks, I'd also like to hit with a lot of them. So, hey, three times to do that. So there it is. The next time you guys make me play fighter, this is the fighter I'm playing. Deal with it. Hopefully we start at level four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to suggest this if we have to grind from level one. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if we if you play from level one, right, you play you play an archer, right? It's 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 not that complicated. You just play an archer. It, all you're giving up is your fighting style. I mean, that's what everyone should be doing at level one anyway. Everyone should equip bows and shoot things in the distance, just like in Baldur's Gate. <laughs> right and if something gets in close you face step away and then shoot them from a distance right like kiting with bows with the entire party is how i killed driz Dorden and then took his stuff <laughs> all right before we wrap up let's take a moment and thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week and supporters of any level get access to our plot hook of the week bonus content so if you'd like to learn more you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill and what do we have planned for next week's episode? It is the episode 300 Mega Mailbag Special. Finally, we can start vamping about something else at the beginning of the episode. Ooh. And in the Character Creation Forge? You know, we've actually gotten a fair number of questions about what it's like to game now that we have kids. And so we are building Ms. Frizzle. I didn't know we were doing Character Creation Forge. All right, cool. All right, that's it for episode 299 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 